Hello, and welcome to Imagine Me and Utena, Revolutionary Girl Utena Podcast. I am Panda, I'm your host, and I'm here with my co-host Alice. How you doing, Alice? I'm currently buried in magic cards and have constructed a new home. How are you? That sounds delightful. <laughs> Invite me to your housewarming. I will as soon as I figure out how to keep me, my neighbors, and my cat from all getting paper cuts all the time. That sounds horrible. Here tonight, we are following up on our previous episode about Revolutionary Girl Utena and gender. Ren is back here with us. How you doing, Ren? I'm doing fantastic. I've got functioning internet, headphones that actually are capturing sound from Discord, and a very happy cat. That's all you really need in life are those things. Tis true. Now, where do we want to pick back up? Because a peek behind the curtain, we did try to record this again about 20 minutes ago. And then my computer decided to just uh, die for no reason. So we had to start over. (laughs) Somebody's computer had to take a turn doing that. Had to take a that. little nappy nap for just a sec. And Homura-chan, the laptop, never fails, so it wasn't, wasn't going to be me. We can always trust Homura. It's true. Homura is the most <laughs> trustworthy and also the best. Everyone knows this. She's Homura's done nothing wrong and also never betrayed anyone in her life. I've never seen Puella Magi Modica Magica Rebellion, the movie, ever. What? No, I have. I I'm you... blocking it out of my mind and my heart. Ah, okay, okay, that's that's fair. Okay. <laughs> it's funny that we mentioned that because before we had to start over again, we were talking actually about the weirdness of placing Utena within genre. Mm-hmm. Not just like we we talked before about the weirdness of placing it in the magical world genre, but more more broadly. Make kind of casting it as shoujo is kind of difficult. It will fit kind of, but parts of it will overflow. So let's get back into that with the whole. So for those who are sort of like, what exactly defines shoujo and shonen and all that fun stuff? So shonen is geared towards men. It's typically boys, um, but also men. Boys, yeah, you're right, but also men. Yes, towards um typically. Younger boys, but also men of all ages, with action and adventure narratives where boys become men by protecting something, fighting against something, oftentimes protecting somebody that they love. And it's the whole thing is that this is how they grow up. Whereas young girls and women of all ages get shoujo, which is a romance-focused narrative where you become a woman because you fall in love and your love triumphs by overcoming obstacles in your life. Hello, all magical girl animes. <laughs> yeah. Ever. But there are exceptions, as always. Yeah, and also, like, and... there are also secondary, con- secondary conflict types and themes there that are pretty distinct. Like, one thing that I think marks Shoujo from Shonen is that, specifically... It's conflicts that aren't explicitly romance-based tend to be, like, interpersonal and sometimes, like, abuse-based. Like, it's, it's a lot of, like, honestly, sometimes more heavy stuff. I'm thinking Fruit Basket, where the original manga has some dark elements in it that, that got ironed out when they did the original anime. Um, I am a shameful heathen who has never read Fruit Basket, original Fruit so... Bag, Fruit Basket, like, that been, like, kind of, depending on how you read it, has got some really dark stuff in it um you know you've got some things both implied and 
straight up set outright in things like Rose of Versailles. Like, there's a lot more of a tendency to get dark in a way that can't be immediately solved by swinging a sword at it and, and giving a speech about friendship. Whereas in Shonen, like, most, not every, but most conflicts can be solved through either violence or competition. And there, the something there tends to be that, like, not romance, but rather companionship and camaraderie to the to like almost this bizarre and easily made fun of extent i mean how many times have we done the whole like have people have you heard people make fun of the my me and my friends will defeat you speech yeah hello naruto a vision of my past and those are actually good <laughs> like and that's one thing I, I always want to make the point with with shoujo and shonen is that there are good things about both of those approaches like as much as i will complain about the fact that they are kind of gender segregated is that if you're going to gender segregate entertainment into for boys only you could do a lot worse than a genre that thrives off the trope that having friends is good and wholesome and you should support each other mutually which is i'm i'm glad that that's what they decided to go with i don't remember if i mentioned this in the last episode or if i just talked about this recently outside of a podcast but when i was younger like as a teenager i was like why is everything about friendship and then now as an now <laughs> like as an adult i'm like i love my friends and i just have this whole new appreciation for that sort of thing in anime and manga now i've kind of always like seen it as when you think of them as two distinct things then a lot of ways on the surface they they both have these concerns on the surface which are very surface but there's actually like some interesting things happening where they are both looking under the surface at some really serious stuff like shonen look shonen is very much a show made by people who are starved for friends any shonen period like because they have the they're, they're the way that they talk about it it borders on obsession and also like goes straight to um i believe the word is cast it's nakama correct yeah um like nakama like words that like we actually can't entirely translate correctly which is become something of a meme if you do fan subs at all and shoujo can actually dig really deep into psychological problems that a shonen show can't touch and that even sometimes like really anything normal can't touch unless it has that sort of on the surface kind of like romancy plot that's the main quote unquote the main thrust yeah it's like how there's there are plenty of magical girl animes that cover the whole like yeah you are fighting against the forces of evil and also getting traumatized in the process and now you and your friends have ptsd <laughs> Uh, good luck with that. Yeah, and we yeah, and we we've mentioned magical girl stuff, and there's there there like shoujo is not always does not always issue action, and shonen doesn't always issue like some deeper and more psychological stuff, but they always feel the same, and Utena just doesn't. It's like we were talking about earlier. You can't just pigeonhole it into one category because it just doesn't quite fit and that's what i really <clears throat> like about it and that's why it resonates with a lot of us who aren't cisgender because it's like 
that's all of us too is like you can't just pigeonhole us into this one gender with all of its like defined traits and roles it's like not quite it's it's it yeah you're right like it's interesting because like you know there's this experience of having been socialized one way and not being that way that creates a kind of ironic attachment which utana kind yeah. of mirrors a lot where utana is, is like the show is extremely aware of the things that it is playing with it's not dumb but it has an ironic detachment from the conventions of both shoujo and shonen like it, it's totally willing to do shonen-y things like i mean let's be real if you strip away everything from it you know what a lot of utana actually is it's a battle anime yeah you, it is you it don't is get, it like, is you don't get more shonen than a battle anime i mean literally like we we can talk about magical girl anime which is also kind of a battle anime sometimes depending um there's a little weirdness there but like i mean she literally has a specific uniform for fighting she does she has a sword she uses it almost every episode or at least like thinks about using it almost every episode and there's a Monster of the Week format where you are kind of like... In fact, the first two arcs of the show are literally just... What if we had the yeah. dark tournament from Yu Yu Hakusho, but with swords, and also everyone is a girl? Um, it's like, who are we fighting this week? Uh, this person. Yeah, and, and like you don't really think about it because it just does not feel like that in any way. Um, and I, I have to say, just the, the second you said it's a fighting anime... Some dark gremlin part of my brain went Utena Genesis Evang Evangelion. I'm like, I love the Utena opening, but nothing will slap ever as hard as the beginning of, of Eva. Oh I man, want that's someone to remake it. Thesis is a bop. That's just how it is. It is. <laughs> it but is. I have to say that the opening, the Utena opening, is actually really good. Yeah. Oh, it, it is good. It, and Revolution. so is And so is the um the end song truth. Oh, yeah, good shit. Have them both on my phone. Listen to it when I go for runs. Yep. That's good, good running stuff. music. It's it's interesting both I, as that, that Uthana does this, both as sort of just like, huh, that's cool. But also as it kind of reinforces that the Uthana's fundamental discomfort with a definition of gendered roles which is strict and like it will depict them, but they will always either be subverted or show or kind of attached to characters who are not the ones you want to be. Yeah, like um, like you were like you guys were talking about in the Sionji episode, um, how Sionji and Toga are both examples of different kinds of like the typical upper class, uh rich boys from notable families where like Sionji is like old tradition yeah. and money and Toga is like the the new upper class super wealthy and they're and you don't want to be either of them because they're both just like shitty people that really have some internalized uh, nastiness that needs to get worked out before they can form good long-lasting relationships yeah like i mean they are in a lot of ways both of them are the picture perfect of 
two different sort of masculine archetypes. Like, Seonji is obviously trying very hard to be the perfect emblem of traditional Japanese masculinity. And he's and he sucks. Like, not only not only does he just like he, he loses. You know, he ain't a gr- he's not exactly a great swordsman because he loses every time pretty easily. But also, like, you know, people don't even... We hear more about how Sayonji is pretty than we do about Kendo, which he seems to care about a lot. Sayonji, Sayonji is that that typical high school prep boy that, like, has been taking, like, fencing lessons from, like, a private instructor, but... He has rage issues so every time he goes to a bout, he gets his ass kicked because he just he's just too impatient and he can't handle it. I'm glad that people I'm glad that there are nerds tilting out of um of fencing as much as there are magic. There nerds nerds will always fail. This is actually the the one universal constant. <laughs> I don't know. That, that's a really good point. I'm, I'm glad that you, you brought that you brought that up the first time. Actually, is um, is that it doesn't fit comfortably because it because it doesn't do that with Shonen either. Because oh, you know, even as it's we talked about battle anime, but also like Shonen, one of Shonen's core things that you have to have to be a real Shonen show, not a seinen show that's more geared towards men, a a Shonen show, the kind of thing that goes in Shonen Jump, is you have to have this super super big emphasis on friendship and camaraderie and the value of those things and Uthana's does not have that. Now they have friends and friendship is a it's a theme but like it's not a glowing endorsement of the concept of friendship. It's a and it's like it's not the main theme either. The main theme is like learning to focus on your like personal like it's it's focused on Utena and Anthe's personal relationship and coming to terms with accepting their love for each other and why they keep staying together like what are their reasons for doing that rather than like Utena focusing on all of her friendships with like with Wakaba with Juri with with Miki and like because I'm friends with all of these people, I will defeat you with the power of friendship. Huzzah! Yeah, and like, it's it's it focuses on things that both of those sort of demographic genre things focus on, but in ways that they would never do. Where, you're right, like, the friendship a- angle in Uthana tends to be extremely focused on one person at a time, and there's not that yeah. sense of this wide, broad camaraderie we get bits of it for a moment at a time, and you know what happens right after we get those bits? Someone either breaks away and kind of quote unquote betrays Uthana, or we get like the end of the show. Because the times that come to mind are like Mickey playing, um, Mickey, Mickey like s- studying with them, and not long after yeah, that, he and- does the, his duel, and Uthana's genuinely betrayed. And it's like, Miki, I thought we we were like in agreement. And Miki was like, actually, I changed my mind because actually, I, Toga I, did fuckboy things in front of me. Actually, I, I realized, thanks to to Toga's help, that I, this whole time I've been a beta orbiter. And now I'm red <laughs> the red pill. Why didn't I see that coming? 
by the way, now that we're here, um, Tijusan, can I sell you my new book? Oh, no. It's called Bang, Otori. No. <laughs> this is bad. This is oh, bad. no. It's terrible, but, um... Mm, sorry. Are you eating we did talk... on this podcast, ma'am? Yes, I have some <laughs> Cavendish and Harvey, um, hard candies. We have, like, seven of these tins in our house. <laughs> because every time we go to the grocery store, we buy another one. Because it's really, really Ooh, like Are you guys a thousand say, years hold, hold, hold. old? Why do you have hard candy? <laughs> because these are good as hell. I will bring you the next they're time. They're being the grandmas they want to see in the world. That, and also, they're very good. Um, My I, old I will, gay I will trans grandma. <laughs> uh, I, will, I will say this for hard candy. Werther's, um, the hard caramel candies, those things are fucking amazing, and they've gotten me through so many long work days. I will defend Werther's until I die. Um, what was I gonna say? I was gonna say something. So, we've talked about how Uthen of the show, like, because of its sort of genre, like, tends to be sort of gender agnostic, which is not my favorite term, but I'm gonna go with it, because <laughs> I can't be half-assed. At there are worse anyone. ones. Um, but character and char- while characters tend to be either like Utsna and just be incredibly right in the middle androgynous of I wear the boys uniform but I also have a combat skirt, or they tend to be cartoonish parodies of gendered ideas like Toga, the suave European style new money millionaire who is just wants to sweep you off your feet, and Seonji, the sort of stereotypical like traditional masculine but do we have anyone who how do i put this is there anyone who just like in utana who just straight up defies gender and isn't punished for it in any way hmm because everyone seems kind of punished by it I, I want I want to say Jury because I love Jury and because I relate to her in many ways, but at the same time, well, Jury just punishes herself honestly. There's also an extent to an extent where her ability to be the way she wants to be is severely challenged by. Um, is it Ruka? Yeah, it's Ruka. Yeah, it's like, Ruka. Ruka shows oh up. fuck! Yeah, I hate Ruka. Ruka. Shows up. And immediately, Jury's everything is just wrecked. And not because she wants it to be, but because, like, he won't go away, and he is unavoidable. And she just, like, he's just, like, that really, really horrible person who you have a lot of trauma centered around. And, like, the second he shows up, you just, you just fucking shut down and go on autopilot. And that's what happens to Jury. And it's, like, it is so uncomfortable to watch. It is just... Ugh. Out, of, out of curiosity, have you read the manga? I have not. I I've listened to the episodes y'all have done on it, but I haven't I haven't found a place to read it yet. So it's actually so like as sort of a kind of a a caveat in tour. It is not my favorite manga. It's got some things that you're not gonna like and some things that you might. Um but Ruka is actually a completely different character in every way. Oh, weird! I still haven't. Yeah, read the that. manga Ruka. Yeah, manga in the in the manga Ruka's actually not is not a bad guy. 
Well, that in the seems, manga that, huh. that sounds very Saito. Yeah, so like in the manga, he, he's also there for a very different reason. In the manga, Ruka's purpose as a character is to kind of be a cat. He is sort of a utility character who is a catalyst for, um, basically like Jury is stuck in the past and like being confronted with her past in the form of this dude is what gets her to sort of move sort of begin to process and actually deal with it and in the care and like in the anime it's like weird because maybe he's like a ghost or something but like in the manga he is very much alive he's actually dying of a terminal illness and which he was beforehand and so when he shows up he's actually like and knowing he is going to be dead in a year or two um showing up here because he knows that like jury's not like he's heard that jury's not over it yet and he's like I'm going to die, and the last thing I'm going to do is make absolute sure that you, like, get over this. Because, like, you shouldn't... I don't want you to die knowing that stuff related to me has kept you in the past. So it's a completely different character. Weird. It is. Honestly, it's a lot more enjoyable little storyline, too. Where he he duels her because he knows it will goad her into responding, and knows that she will... That, like, kind of, like, kind of wants her to win... So that he, she could put him behind her forever. So it's it, it's a it's a hmm. more. That's definitely a healthier t- um, dynamic than what happens in the anime. Yeah, it, it is much more enjoyable. I'll, I'll just say that up front. And I don't know, like as much as we as much as we have sort of given the impression that Saito's manga is like way more stereotypical or whatever. It tends to be shoujo, but, like, avoiding most of the shoujo tropes that are not great. Saito may be very, like, standard shoujo in a lot of ways in her interpretation of Utena, but she is she knows what she's doing, like, when she creates standard shoujo. It's not blind. Whereas Ikuhara is just like, I am going to slap you in the face with symbolism. Yeah, like, Ikuhara's oh, creed. Oh my god. One of the things that's interesting to me is looking back at it is, like, Ikuhara is creating an, a thing that is, like, not shoujo and not shonen from the perspective of somebody who has never really worked in, in one of those for more than a little bit. Because he worked in Sailor Moon, but... That's right! I always forget yeah, that. Yeah, like, even in Sailor Moon, he was kind of married to an already existent thing, and still did some... Whenever he could, he tried to be weird about it. Boy, didn't he. And, like, oh, he wasn't yeah. super successful as far as he would probably have liked in, in being weird, but he was bound to it. And as soon as he's not bound, he he's weird about it. He did a real good job of that in the movie. Yeah. Because he just went fucking wild. Although, to be fair, I'm in the demographic that just, like, I fucking love the movie, even if there are parts of it that folks are like, this was a good... I also like This was like just the over movie. the top, and I'm just like... Movie it's... Defenders Club. I like it as an experience. Um, I don't like it as much. The mo- it's kind of the bottom of the barrel for me, but I still like it. I think part of it for me is that I just have this emotional attachment to it where it's like, whenever I'm feeling shitty, I will watch... Um, the movie and it just like it's an emotional reset and like i cry and then i feel better and i feel that it's definitely feel it's, that it's it's there's something about that but um 
circling back to your question about uh, people being punished by defying gender in Revolutionary Girl Utena, I would say that the reason that you don't that you don't see anyone who isn't being punished for it is because that's sort of the point. Revolutionary Girl Utena as a series clearly has very strong opinions about gender. It can be a little hard to parse out what those opinions are all the time, but I mean, it clearly has a lot to say about it. Yeah, I was actually that was kind of where I was going with this is that like because basically everyone who crosses that boundary ends up in a bad in a bad place. But is that because the show is portraying these behaviors as bad, and obviously they lead to bad ends, or is this Utena stepping back and saying the societal, like the the world around you is not going to want you to do this, and it will kind of like strike you down about it. It's it's basically a sort of a take on how society is in life. It's just. There are people like this who exist and defy gender, and this is what society does to them because these are the societal norms that we have in place, and people who defy those norms are seen as weird or deviant or wrong, and people try to trample them because they don't understand it or their own um, security in their perceived role is challenged by somebody going, gender? I don't know her. And they're just sort of like, what? No, 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 no. Like, our entire, like, these cultural values are built upon these, like, gender roles. And you have to, if you are this, you have to do this, this, and that. And the person's just like, nah, nah, I don't, I don't think so. And people get really fucking angry and defensive. It's, and it's, it happens. And so Utena takes that and is like yes this is how society is going to treat you but in the end it's worth it to be true to yourself and to your feelings and to how you feel about other people yeah because even even though like every sort of dissenter is punished the people who just go with the flow of what they're doing come out way worse yeah, and there's definitely no uh, there's no mistaking the idea that the people who do, do go along with their ascribed gender roles are in the right. Like there's no mis- there's no mistaking that for being the show's point of view. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could like like look at Wakaba who like loves Sionji and like when he's like down in the in the ditch and like feeling shitty is like okay I'm gonna take care of you I'm gonna help you get back on your feet and like does pours out so much love and caring and compassion for him and then he just like is like okay thanks bye I'm I'm going back to mooning over Anthe now not talking to you and Wakaba is just sort of like okay and then like all of this resentment fucking builds up inside until she just snaps. My poor baby. And I know sweet onion princess does not deserve this. And that happens a lot to anyone who 
um, society perceives as female or feminine is like you are expected to do this, to be compassionate, to donate your um, empathy, your emotional literacy, and to be some like the receiver of somebody else's issues and to basically be their therapist for free. And in the meantime, you've got your own issues building up inside of you and you aren't able to release them until it all just gets to be too much and you either shut down or you snap and lash out. And it's it's not healthy at all. No, and it's it's and which is a shame because like there there's a sense that like some things are not bad, but when they are compelled, they become perverse and that's always the like the point i wish people would make regarding this sort of like you're supposed to be nice and compassionate is that like it's not no one's saying that those things are bad no one is saying that you shouldn't be nice and compassionate and patient with people what people are what we're saying is that like those qualities are good qualities and when you compel them you twist them you make them into something yeah. wrong that they were never meant to be. Like when it's when you expect it of a single person and in some cases outright demand it, then it's not healthy anymore because rather than it coming naturally, this person now feels obligated to perform this. And over time, that sort of feeling of obligation builds up into resentment. Yeah, you, you've created this environment where like instead of someone being good their being good is just another way to hurt them which is not going to make anyone good it makes all of us more less like less able to be what we would want to be which is good patient compassionate because when that's easily that's easily used as a tool against you you don't want to do that anymore yeah. yeah, I mean, it's that like that happened like it, it happens with Kaba here. It kind of happens really anytime anyone is genuinely like any of those things, they get mega hurt. And even like Anthe, who's just like completely like despondent and is like, "I will be whatever you want me to be." Like, I am going to lock up all of my emotions inside of me and pretend that it does not matter, right up until that absolutely heartbreaking scene on top of the the observatory where Utena has to talk her down from the edge of the building because it's all finally like welling up inside Anthe because she's starting to realize like oh I'm not really just like playing a part anymore I am actually I treasure this relationship I have with Utena and I know how it's all going to end in ruin and this is just destroying me inside. My heart. Yeah. My sweet children. I do have a go to therapy. I do have a sort of like <laughs> question to both of you because y'all have different backgrounds than me, and I'm curious if you have the same vibe. I think one of the reasons I liked Mickey when I first watched the show, besides the fact that he's like objectively of the male characters on the show, the least likely to be like a crazy murder rapist. Um, <laughs> and which is that's a, one way a, to put it. Not being cartoonishly awful is actually basically being a saint. Um, <laughs> but also because I kind of 
he always really sort of came across to me as kind of effeminate in an understated way. And egg me probably identified with that a lot. (laughs) Um, Just maybe just a little, but like, is that maybe, was I reading into that or is, do you kind of see that a little bit? I kind of see that from a similar perspective of like, Miki is kind of like me in that he could be, he's kind of effeminate, but also masculine and kind of a trans masculine way. So that, like, that's how Miki speaks to me. It's like, I've actually, I've seen some, hey. I've seen a post somewhere on the internet about somebody kind of laying out this, um, sort of white head cannon of like, consider a trans mask, um, Miki. And I loved it because it was actually yes. pretty well thought out. And yes. I was kind of like, yeah, I like this. I This, this stuff pleaseth me. <laughs> yes, I'm like, I'm pretty okay with this. Like, And it's 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 interesting because um, I, I just, as a sidebar, I love when people can look at, um, I look at media and especially other trans people and kind of see how we can fit in. Because in a way... It's so easy to look at that as sort of like picking through the leftovers, and that's pretty depressing. But for me, it's 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 affirming to realize that like you know that people haven't given up, and that just because this wasn't necessarily explicitly meant targeted, and there's not like this explicit representation that we can see it anyway, that we can reinvent the world around us to have space for us. I like hmm. to rub um, like, my grubby have... little gay hands all over everything. <laughs> yes. Okay. I have many trans head cannons, and you cannot stop me. Speaking of trans head cannons, <laughs> I have to say I do have I I do accept a widely held one about Sailor Moon. Oh, uh, is this the Sailor Jupiter? Yes, yeah, Sailor yeah. Jupiter is like actually like some of them are like an artistic reinterpretation of a character and I accept it as that and it's fine. Sailor Jupiter's the one where I'm like, there's no way this isn't kind of there because it just works way too well. <laughs> yes, yes it does. It's canon. Naoko Takeuchi said <laughs> trans rights. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Anyway. <laughs> Did you Have you heard um, the voice actor for Solid Snake? Yes! Oh yeah! Yeah, by the yeah. speaking of, like, read that out loud. It was very uh, good, and it made me happy. Uh, you know this. You know what this one makes me want to do? I want to. I want to learn sign language fluently because that's something I need to do. But also, so I can dress up in my link in my link costume and sign trans yes. rights as Link. Because Link is my gender queer alternate self, and you cannot tell me otherwise. I actually know someone um, named Aiden who is transmask, and he writes a lot of stuff using Sheik and um, the sort of newer versions of Link as a way of exploring gender fluidity, and, uh, and it's really good. Nice. Yeah, it's it's really cool to see. It's and I might be sort of like, and this is sort of parting the curtain on me a little bit. It's always been interesting for me to see, to explore specifically that because it's it's interesting to be see someone who values things that I didn't, 
because like otherwise I don't understand it. It actually helps me understand a lot more. Like I can understand what, not only my own past experiences, but who I am now by kind of seeing how specifically trans masculine people have sort of show what they value in this thing that I had to engage in that I hated. Hmm, I hear you. Yeah. It's, it's kind of the same thing how trans feminine people tell me like their, like their first experiences, like dressing up or wearing makeup. And it's, it's sort of like, these are things that I really disliked doing, wasn't a fan of, but I'm glad that somebody else is enjoying them. Yeah, it's, it's it's kind of an uncanny feeling, right? Sort of a, I can see why you would like this, but it's weird that someone else liked it. <laughs> it's like how, um, last recording, I was uh, briefly tangenting about, like, the first time I, I got to wear a suit, and you were like, yeah, remember when you discovered it has secret pockets? <laughs> yeah, which is, for the record, the only thing I liked about those. I hate them. But I love those pockets. Those pockets are so fucking good. You keep... You could stuff so much fucking hard candy in those suckers. You can keep so much <laughs> shit in there. Uh, I used to... Oh, God. I had, I had to... When I was down at my cousin's wedding, because I was like, I'm not going three days without a cigarette, I smuggled in a pack of American spirits and, like, a whole bag's worth of Werther's into my cousin's <laughs> wedding party. <laughs> And then one of those secret things, That's I was hilarious. like, just for today, me and my masculinity have signed a truce of convenience <laughs> against a greater foe. Um, have you guys heard it- that there is a rumor that one of the characters in Sarah Zenmai is going to be transmasculine? I've not I heard have that. not no. heard that. I literally, I don't know anything about this. I got this like third hand knowledge from like someone referencing something that they thought they saw on the internet so i have nothing to back this up if uh anyone is listening and can tell me about that um that would be cool but that would be i was just wondering if you guys had heard that would be so all i know about sarah zanlai is that it's gonna have kappa and they're gonna steal souls out of people's butts because that's what kids right. do in folklore yeah. and also in this cartoon. Distinctly out of yes. the butt. Yes. Okay. Kappa are great. Kappa are extremely okay. good. <laughs> Alice, have I shown you the art for the Sarah Semi podcast thumbnail? I'm terrified. Please show me. I-, I will show you later, but uh, anyway... We don't have we don't have anything to say about that. Sarah's at my tangent because there's no info there, and I'm not gonna Google it right now. I will probably find that out by the time I record the first Sarah's on my episode. We just hope that it's actually yes. a thing. I hope. I I keep the faith. I gotta say that like I kind of want to watch Penguin Drum if only to see if there is this continuing. Um, flouncing of strict gender roles throughout it's hard work because utan has got it um no spoilers yurikuma yurikuma kind of has it but in a way i'm not going to explain which is very topsy-turvy weird um 
you could kind of say that there are bits and pieces in Sailor Moon where it's kind of in Sailor Moon. Yeah, Specifically definitely. talking about Jupiter. And also, I mean, there's some other stuff as well. Well, um, there's like gender bendy stuff with uh, Sailor Uranus, who is also oh, um, dubiously, canonically uh, genderqueer. Um, yeah, I remember when that came out. So Scarlet, while stealing one of my heart candies, um, reminded me that the, specifically the the season that um, Ikahara worked on was the one that Uran- Sailor Uranus comes in. Yeah. Huh? And there's a lot of like people scratching their heads about is 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 um is she a boy or not? And maybe in context, like after three or four times of this, it wasn't a mistake to do that. Maybe it was maybe it was the beginning of a long trend. Well, the uh, Uranus <laughs> being mistaken for a boy is from the manga too, and it goes yeah. even like even more so into in the manga. Really? Yeah. I wish people at work would mistake me for a boy. Uh, I'm wearing a button-up, a bow tie, and I gave myself stubble with eyeshadow. Like a boy to me. Why is this not enough for you? I've heard of people doing that. I. It's really easy. You just take a kabuki brush, dunk it in like a color eyeshadow that's similar to your hair color, and just dust your jawline. You're welcome, trans mask friends listening to this. Yep. It also gets all over your clothes, though, so not the greatest uh, so be idea. be careful. I kind of... Seal your seal your fucking yes. makeup, you homestuck freaks. God. <laughs> the, the gray homestuck makeup. You know, I... To be fair, I was one of those, so... I never, I, same, except that I never did the makeup, but I did have... We did go to a Mississippi Comic Con, like a group of us in various black shirts with um, zodiac things on them. If nice. I can't remember if I went with Nepetas or Carcats because I was always sort of torn between them. Aww. But remind me to post uh, pictures of my Homestuck cosplays in chat. I will do that. Get take <laughs> off my podcast. <laughs> 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 I gotta say though, um, it's really I. If nothing else, I like that Utsuna can be kind of and Utsuna and also some other Ikihar stuff. Not Yurikuma, but mostly mostly Utsuna can be gender bender bendery with in a way that's a lot more. How do I put this? A lot less prone to terribleness than a gender bendery things in a lot of. Japanese. A lot it's, more nuanced it's than, like, say, Ranma one half. Actually, Ranma one half is in the t- is, is is like in the the best third of all of that. I do like Ranma one half. I was just that's the that was the first uh, gender bendy anime that comes to mind. I have read a lot of gender bendery manga and hmm. they're yeah I'm I know so right? shocked. They're why. That is very much a trans femme thing. You read a lot of. We go talk about it because it's highly embarrassing. And the reason it's highly embarrassing is that most of that stuff is real bad. <laughs> Just so terrible for one reason or another. That it makes it really nice that Utena can be worth watching and also not that. Not not nearly like it could be that with and while also being worth watching is is nice. Yeah, absolutely. 
That's so bad, though, y'all. It's so bad. Hmm. I'm trying to think of what else. Did you have anything else in your notes, by the way? Um. Okay, admittedly, do. this is a good Homestuck cosplay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Those wings are three feet by three feet. That is impressive. It was... It was hell making oh, them. Um, let's see. In my notes, well, we covered most of the first page. Um, well, there's the whole um, inversion of gendered roles in fantasy, plus with Utena being an inverted fairy tale that they sort of like play into each other. Yeah, we have we actually touched on that briefly you guys have gone fairly into depth on how it's an inverted fairy fairy tale so i don't really think we need to talk about that much I mean, if you want to, we can, um, but yeah we it that that's it's it's a really important point to make but it's also an easy point to make why because it just screams at you every episode <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's a castle upside down in the sky because the fairy tale is inverted also, it took me an embarrassingly long time to make that connection. Same. I mean, I mean, when you, I forget which episode it was where you guys pointed it out, but like listening to it, I went, "Oh, I see what they did there." Yeah, that happened to me too. But you've got, like, that, and then there's the whole, we could go into gender as a construct or a performance versus gender being a part of your self-image that is intrinsically unique to you and your brain. Okay, so I do have to say something on the performance thing. Yes. Um, I'm not saying you're you're saying this, by the way, but, it's, and you might have something to say about this as well, Rand, but. Oh, yeah. A lot of people do not understand what is meant by the idea that gender is performative. Um, because as, as much as people make jokes about gender is fake, actually, um, that's not what performative, kind of the performative theory is actually about. That's not the point. Um, Tell us, Alice. Give it to us. us. So when you imagine you were an actor on stage. And you are performing a part, right? I mean, that's what actors do. But when you perform that part, are you lying? Is is that... Would you feel comfortable saying... We wouldn't say it was fake, right? No. Yeah, like, I mean, in a very literal sense, it's not really... You're not really Macbeth or not really whoever. But pointing that out would be kind of asinine. It's the kind of thing that the comically over literal character who is basically just a comic comic a comedy like meme would say no real person's gonna say that and that's that's the kind of more of the performity that we're talking there is this is a performance of playing a role not because you are faking it but because everything you do is kind of performative you know like you do things when you when you talk in order to communicate a deeper meaning like when 
for instance, we, when we have somebody on the show that's new, one of the first things that we do is, you know, we our, our voices are a little higher pitched and we always ask them these same questions that are these little softball kind of, kind of questions that they know are coming. And we do that because it's and it's performative, not because we're fake, but because it's a natural response where we what we really want is for that person to feel comfortable and to have a nice experience. And so we kind of do a thing so that that will happen. And it just sort of gets the conversation going. Yeah, exactly. Performative behavior keeps the conversation going. It's something we all understand intrinsically. Even though we don't think of it in those terms, we still do it. Yeah, because it's, it's either it's just been something that you've done because it's how you grew up. And to a point, what each role that you take sort of you put a part of yourself into that and it also becomes a part of you. But that doesn't mean it's entirely who you are either. It's a, it's a facet. Yeah. That makes it's, sense. It's the key, yeah. the key thing when talking about that for me, it's, it has to be that like the real point of the performative theory is that the idea that gender is not an essentialist thing. It's not like it's a, it kind of points out that, like, you know, strain the universe down to a molecular level and find me one molecule of gender. It's it's an idea, not a physical sort of reality. Um, and this, it's, a, it's a box that our brains thought up to categorize each other because that's what brains like to do. They like to sort things and label them. So it's like, I, I need to know exactly what this, 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 and this is so I don't feel anxious anymore. I have organized everything. Hooray. Yeah, and, and to be clear, like, we do that with a lot of things, and just because we do that doesn't mean those things aren't real. Like, we do that with money, but that doesn't mean if you don't have any that you're just going to be fine, you know? Yeah, it's true. There is something of a hesitation, um, especially, it's, it's, there's something, like, there's always a hesitation with this idea, and it's interesting that we talked about it now in terms of Utena, because Utena kind of wrestles with this a bit like when Uthana, when when the when the narration talks about Uthana wanting to be a prince but is it a really good idea it's kind of talking about the archetypal prince but it's also maybe talking about the fact that Uthana is trying to be something which a lot of people would say is not essentially who she is yeah or even that she's trying to perform with the idea of something and keep these ideals while not realizing that, like, in some ways, like, she's conveniently ignoring things that she shouldn't ignore because she's like, well, I'm being a prince and I'm doing princely things. And it's like, and you're also, like, ignoring the fact that, like, um, like, with your whole relationship with Anthe, that Anthe is acting this way because you have won the duel and you need to have an even more in-depth conversation with her than to think that everything is fixed. And also, you know, it's in a totally forgetting Wakaba exists. Yes! I love Usuna, and I will defend her to the death. That's always bothered me. That's always, like, that's always something that gets me, how, like, at the end of every duel, especially during the Black Rose arc, there's, like, there's some seriously traumatic shit that goes down, especially with Wakaba, who is 
been through the fucking shitter. And then at the end, it's it's like they, they forget about it and go back to living their lives, and it's like nothing has changed, and it's like, can I get some aftercare, please? I'm gonna be... I just... Okay, as I, a sidebar, do you think that they actually forget what happens in Black Rose Art? Because I don't. Hmm? Do you like? Do you think the duelists of the Black Rose Art forget what happens? Because I don't actually think they forget. I think that they absolutely have fucking trauma nightmares, and you cannot tell me otherwise. Because they're just these little asides that are like sort of the wink, wink, nudge, nudge that they totally remember at least some of it. And I'm like, there's no way that they forget everything because there's just too much. Absolutely not. Forgetting. And it's like, sure, you can play off the dueling arena as like this liminal space where it's a it's a projection. It's like your fantasies become reality and reality becomes a fantasy, but also it's like it's not just like some fever dream that you wake up from and forget entirely. It's like it's still a part of you. Something happened. Hmm. Okay. I do have as a final sort of like hurrah here for we have to talk about my least favorite thing that happens. Yeah. And that is? I'd, I'm actually refused to say his name correctly, um, but little Manservant Chan, like, um, the hanger-on. Oh! Oh! Um, you said it! That's how you say it. I did say it. It's true. I have failed myself and my you have brought dishonor on you dishonor on your family dishonor on your cow dishonor on your naname i have dishonor i'll I'll see myself out now but yeah who among us could honor her (laughs) (laughs) who among us is worthy anyway if if you're talking about usana and gender i feel like you kind of have to on unfortunately have to remember that episode and the fact that it isn't just sexually charged but also incredibly like there's a lot of gendered stuff happening there mm. and th- in a lot of ways Suabuki's duel is a product of the fact that no one can actually answer his real like no one seems to be able to answer his question not because they're embarrassed but like when they do give him any kind of answer it's indirect and, ba- and based in, like, this sort of conventional wisdom. Suabuki wants to know, like, I want to be, I want, like, I'm supposed to grow up because that's what kids do. How do I do that? And instead of, like, offering him guidance, they kind of just make really terrible, but also admittedly very funny, sexual innuendos the entire episode. Because, like, in the end, a lot of like these gendered roles that we, the characters Uthana are bound in and struggle against are kind of sort of go back there and are about controlling that part of human experience. I think it's, I don't think it's an accident that like Uthana who is very not plugged into the standard sort of like gendered roles when, when at confronted with that question and everyone else kind of goes to one specific place She's just kind of genuinely clueless. Like, she treats it like an actual question. It's like, huh, I don't know. Growing up could be a lot of things. <laughs> and everyone else is like, yeah, this is obviously, like, we're going to make this conversation about, the like, the sex really quick. 
Even like even Anthony does that. Yeah. Utena is a dumbass asexual like me, and you cannot tell me otherwise. It's, it's actually one of my favorite Utena moments in the whole series. Is she she's just like really clueless, and Anthony says that, and just like the <laughs> juxtaposition of those two things, beautiful. It's extremely good. It is. It it's excellent. Mm-hmm. I need to go back and watch that bit now. That episode is a trip. I'm I'm I will want to rewatch it eventually, and I'll probably love it. But it's it's so uncomfortable. The first time we watched that episode together, me and you, Panda, like I was like viscerally uncomfortable. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> like oh god, do we have to watch this to the end? This is weird. It's They're a gonna lot. make it weird. If <laughs> it sure is a lot. Um. <laughs> Bren, did you have any other uh, notes that you wanted us to get to? Nope, that is that's it. Okay, well, we've been that's we've been all, going folks. For about an hour, so I think that's a fine place to wrap this up. If uh, do either of you have any closing thoughts? Gender is a fuck shit. Fuck goddamn. <laughs> um. My only closing thought I can think of is that if anybody out there has any other points to make about this, wants to sort of like contribute to this conversation, please, for real, please like at me or the podcast on Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. This is something that I actually really am interested in talking about with a wide variety of people and that I've had some conversations about in the last couple weeks that are really interesting and yeah, and especially um, if any of our listeners out there who are trans or gender non-conforming have sort of a like a take here, I'd love to hear it because I'm really curious what other people's kind of experience with this anime. In in all seriousness, gender is just a a weird and nebulous thing that can be hard to pin down sometimes, and that's okay. Oh yeah, that's my closing thought. Yes, hell yeah. Nice. If you'd like to follow us hell on Twitter, yeah. you can do that at Utenacast. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at Impandanata. If you'd like to check out other things I do in the world of podcasting, you can check out the Fresh Podcast Market, which I do with my friend Teresa, and Monica Magicast, a podcast about Quella Magi, Monica Magica, that I edit. Alice, where can people find you online? They can find me at Lyrewolf, L-Y-R-E-W-U-L-F. Um, I have a Kofi. I do commissions of fiction. Also, like any kind of like article, if you want someone to do any research for you or help you tweak some writing that you've done, I can do that as well. Um, and that's the only thing that I plug. Except, okay, well, me and Scarlett are working towards having a podcast. Lily I've actually made Academy. a Twitter. Lily which... <laughs> <laughs> Which does have a name, um, Lily Academy. Um, I have made a Twitter that I'm not really done with yet. And we will probably actually be recording some of that in the next several days. Um, we figured out the things we want to do first. My The other thing that is in my house that besides Magic Cards is um, Yuri Manga, which is a lot. There are a lot of them. Excellent. Yes. Um, just oodles, frankly. And they're all pretty <laughs> good and they will be talked about at some point. So I can't yeah, wait to, to hear. That. Oh yeah. 
And we had to do something because it was either this or a Mark Rosewater fan podcast. We just talk about how much we want to <laughs> we want to make sweet, sweet love to the magic man, Mark Rosewater. So, you know what? I, I feel like we made the right decision. Ren, where can people find you online should you wish to be found? Uh, the good people can find me on Twitter at... Uh, Ren, R-E-N-N underscore aeroplane. That's A-E-R-O plane because I'm fancy like that. Uh, on that, in my Twitter bio, I think I also have links to uh, my YouTube and to my art blog if you want me to draw you things. And yes, I am on YouTube as Renaissance Aeroplane and you can watch me yell at my screen while I die playing a video game. It's lots of fun. Excellent. If you would like to email us, you could do that at imagineandnutina at gmail.com. We are a Patreon-supported podcast. You can find that pretty much anywhere you can find us on the internet. And I think that's all of our things other than, did I say Tumblr? I haven't used the Tumblr in a while. I should do that. Imagineandnutina.tumblr.com. That's all the things that I'm going to say. One day, I'll write them down. Didn't do that today revolutionize the world everybody <laughs> please call me mark rosewater da, da. i don't even know who that is